Welcome to this episode of Real Christianity. My name is Dale Partridge, where each week I offer 15 to 20 minute answers to tough theological and pastoral questions. This is a 100% listener-supported audio ministry of relearn.org. And for those who don't know, our mission at relearn.org is to educate and equip ordinary Christians to plant biblical, confessional, and missional house churches. For more information, just visit relearn.org forward slash house. A question for you guys. Do you ever want to be a fruitful and biblical member of your church? Is that a desire? Uh, Have you ever wondered what type of Christians build up a local church and what type tear it down? Better yet, are you one of these people who might be tearing down the church, but you just don't know it? These are important questions, and we're going to be discussing this and more. But before we begin, I just wanted to make uh, one quick announcement. Our ministry has uh, been sustained now for three years because of your generous donations. I can't tell you how many people have just stepped up and really blessed our ministry uh, financially by supporting the work we do, even people that are just giving $5 a month. Uh, We're coming up to the close of the 2020 year, and uh, we've met every financial need so far this year, uh, but we're still short on meeting the budget, the 2020 budget required to fulfill our ministry objectives uh, for the remainder of the year. Additionally, we're, we're actually praying heavily for 2021. We believe it'll be a big year for our ministry. We're planning, uh, as we mentioned before, to film a documentary on House Church, uh, to establish our first group of House Church planters through our uh, companion ministry, stjustins.org. Uh, and we also uh, hope to release several more products and resources and uh, digital uh, resources for planting and strengthening biblical house churches. Uh, Essentially, what I'm asking is that uh, we need your support, Uh, and I'm just asking if if you would prayerfully consider uh, making either a one-time donation or a monthly donation. Uh, We promise to be wise stewards of your gifts uh, as we serve the church. You can always make a donation to our ministry at relearn.org forward slash donate, relearn.org forward slash donate. All right, guys, this is going to be a slightly different episode. I, I recently had a friend and a fellow house church planter ask me what type of Christians have been difficult uh, or even dangerous to the health of a local house church community. Uh, and I thought it was a great question, and I ended up writing an article on the topic titled The Four Types of Church Members Who Hurt the Church. Uh, not everyone has the time to read an article, and also might not even know that I wrote the article, because we have a lot more listeners on this podcast than we do readers on the website. Uh, But I thought I would do an episode where I would read an abbreviated version and make some commentary along the way. So we're going to dive into that real quick. This is the uh, response that I gave to that question. Uh, One of the more obvious differences between a traditional church and a house church is the degree of impact one person or family can have on the congregation. And since a traditional church typically has, you know, say 100 to 300 members, one divisive individual doesn't greatly affect the entire congregation. However, in a house church, one member or family might be upwards of 20% of your congregation, and uh, their immorality 
or issues without proper pastoral leadership can greatly affect the entire assembly. And so as pastors, uh, shepherds, you know, lay leaders in a, a local house church context, um, must not only be vigilant in regards to who is admitted into your church uh, membership, but also uh, watchful within our own members uh, to recognize and lovingly correct those who are walking contrary to the Word of God. And personally, uh, I've, I've been a member of a house church since 2014 and a pastor of one since 2017. Um, and my experience is, sure, it's somewhat narrow. Uh, I'm not a novice, however, to the spiritual realities faced in these small biblical communities. Um, to be honest, they're not easy. Uh, the relational stakes in a house church are high. Um, you know, we're, we're with fallen saints who sin, and we have an enemy working against us. Um, and so in this episode, I just want to share these four types of church members, these are Christians, uh, that from my own experience have had a hurtful effect on a local church. And this would be really anywhere, but it's, it's just amplified in a house church context. And how pastors can identify, confront, uh, and gently uh, shepherd these individuals to the feet of Christ. So this is uh, if you uh, have a pastoral heart, or you're a lay leader, or you're a pastor, uh, this, this message will be really pointed to you in terms of the application, but I think it's a good message for anybody. Um, so the first person, uh, first character or member that hurts the church, uh, in my opinion, is the lost member. And so uh, sadly, the, the Western church has created you know, a Christian population through decisions or decisionism, uh, rather than through repentance and belief. And uh, many people who regularly attend Sunday assemblies, they've confused coming to church with coming to Christ. And as a result, we have thousands of people within the walls of the church who are moralists, religious zealots, proponents of traditional and conservative values. They're even brilliant philosophers of the Christian faith, but in reality, they've actually never been born again. And as a pastor, uh, this is delicate territory. Uh, as men, we know that we can only look upon uh, the, um, the outside. We can't look upon the heart. Uh, 1 Samuel 16, 7 talks about that. But Jesus has offered us a way and a clear path to the evidence that will be present in any born-again believer. It's Matthew 7, 16 through 20. Uh, Jesus says, you will recognize them by their fruits. Uh, are, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Uh, in regards to that uh, doctrine in Matthew 7, Dr. Albert Barnes once wrote, uh, and I quote, The Savior gives the proper test of their character. People do not judge a tree by its leaves or bark or flowers, but by the fruit which it bears. The flowers may be beautiful and fragrant and the foliage thick and green, but these are merely ornamental. It is the fruit that is the chief service to a man and he forms his opinion of the nature and the value of the tree by that fruit. So of pretensions to religion, 
The profession may be fair, but the conduct, the fruit, is to be determ- is to determine the status of the tree. I thought that was well written. Uh, in other words, basically what we're you know learning from this is Christ has not left the church without the means to identify counterfeits, wolves, or simply lost sheep needing to hear the call of the shepherd, capital S, shepherd. Um, that is the word of Christ, the gospel of our salvation, right? Romans 10, 17. Um, and this is critical because allowing a lost person, even if they are moral, to remain in a state of false assurance is dishonest and dangerous. Um, because these individuals lack the spiritual traits that foster and maintain unity within a local church, uh, they are they're often the root of a lot of divisive activities within the body. And uh, basically, when we see a member who, over long periods of time, is sincerely struggling to produce spiritual responses in their interactions with other members, it's a valid question uh, to, to think if they're spiritually alive. Um, we can't expect spiritual actions from people who have not been spiritually born. And so it is a valid thing as a pastor to go, okay, uh, am I seeing something trending here that I should maybe have a discussion about? Uh, But what should a pastor do if he has a spiritually, scripturally, and prayerfully discerned moment and a seemingly unconverted member in his congregation? Uh, Unfortunately, there's really no one answer to this fairly common question. Um, the Bible does command Christians to hold anyone who is, quote, named a brother or sister to the moral standards of Scripture. We see that in 1 Corinthians 5, 11 through 14. Uh, that is, you know, any member in the church walking contrary to his or her claimed identity must be lovingly uh, yet directly confronted and corrected. Uh, but because every situation is different, there's really no step-by-step process. Um, I will offer a biblical principle derived from 1 Corinthians 13.5 um, that has really served me well. And this is, uh, love thinks no evil. That's that verse. Um, the thing that served me well is, is this statement. It was told to me years ago. Uh, be curious before you're critical. Um, namely, start with questions before making claims. Ask them about their sin, the, the bad fruit that you're seeing. Uh, in their lives. Listen carefully to their response. Ask them about um, their conversion and how their sin sits in light of the gospel and what Christ has done for them. Ask them if they would uh, explain to you the gospel and how their understanding of repentance and faith have uh, shaped their behavior as Christians. Uh, And the answers to these questions will offer deep insight as a pastor uh, that'll either confirm or disprove your discernment if they're saved or not, or born again or not. And so, um, in either conclusion, I, I just suggest that you present the gospel thoroughly to them. Uh, the gospel is not just for, for uh, lost people. The gospel's for saved people. We need to constantly be reminded of the beauty of the gospel. Um, and let me close with just a quick w- word of caution on this first point. Um, this entire process, if you have somebody that you're concerned may not actually be born again, but is in the church, um, and you want to have a discussion around these things, th- this is a deeply sensitive discussion, 
Um, and it might not even be worth having. It might just be preaching the gospel. Uh, but you need to use your words like a scalpel, not a knife. Uh, a knife can cut out genuine assurance and uh, and genuine hope in what looks like a bla- like a backslidden believer. But a scalpel, uh, it's a tool of precision, and it's used only after identifying what it's going to cut out. And so, with with this you know acute device, you can cut out only what is broken. Uh, and that would be the false assurance and the false hope in an unconverted soul. So just be very, 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 very careful in that situation if you do decide to confront this in a brother or sister in your church. Um, and sometimes, again, it's very obvious, and sometimes it's not obvious, and you have to be very careful. Uh, so the first one was the the lost member. Uh, we need to realize that, yeah, we've had so many people come into the church under false understanding of the gospel through, uh, again, easy believism or come and say this prayer and there was really no regenerating moment or it was an emotional experience that never actually produced a born-again moment. The Lord actually hasn't sovereignly uh, done that work yet. Um, They're in the church and the Lord is uh, seeking them in some capacity at this point. He's drawing them. They may need to hear the gospel once again. Number two is the rogue member. The rogue member. The Bible teaches that God is God of order, and it also teaches that the church is a place of order. Right? That's First Corinthians fourteen uh, forty. Uh, but we also see that the church is governed first by Christ, who is its head. Colossians one eighteen, Ephesians one twenty two and twenty three, uh, and second by appointed elders and deacons. We see that in First Timothy three and Titus one. Uh, in Acts twenty twenty eight, Paul um, asserts. Uh, this order that he's talking about, when he tells the elders of uh, the regional church in Ephesus, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he, that is Christ, obtained with his own blood. In 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, the apostle uh, offers further understanding uh, as he lists the high standards of qualification for the men holding one of these two offices in the church, the elder role or deacon role. Um, But again, we live in an individualistic and egalitarian culture where honor and respect for both age and maturity are scarce. And the idea of submitting yourself to the spiritual care and oversight of elders is, is often foreign and even offensive to our culture. And any church member who operates in this way and who is unwilling to accept the blessing of shepherding, correction, discipleship. Uh, They're working against the order and unity uh, Christ desires within his bride. You can read about that in John 17, 21, 1 Corinthians 1, 10. Uh, Pastor John MacArthur, he explains uh, the, the anguish experienced as a result of rogue church members. And he says this quote, uh, I'll read it here. It says, uh, It's a serious and all too common thing for stubborn, self-willed people in the church uh, to rob their pastors of the joy God intends faithful pastors to have. Failure to properly submit brings grief rather than joy to pastors and consequently brings grief and displeasure to God who sends them to minister over us. Grief means an inner, unexpected groaning. 
It is a grief often known only to the pastor, his family, and to God. Because lack of submission is an expression of selfishness and self-will, unruly congregations are not likely to be aware of or care about the sorrow they cause their pastor and other leaders. That's a a reference to Hebrews 13, 7. Uh, From my experience, it's best, uh, especially in a house church format, to be upfront and clear regarding the doctrines of church government. Um, You know, potential members need to understand, in any church context, to be honest, the biblical roles and responsibilities between elders, deacons, and church members prior to becoming a member, not just a visitor, but a member of the church. Uh, and, and too often I see pastors are overly winsome uh, in the beginning, especially in the house church context, and they allow uh, Christians to join their congregation under false expectations. Um, and this isn't helpful or wise. We have to realize that we have a fairly untrained church when it comes to understanding ecclesiastical structure and order. Um, This wasn't always the case, but this is a modern problem that we don't understand what it means to be in spiritual submission, not in physical submission, not in oppression, not in your pastor tells you what to do in all aspects of your life, but in spiritual submission to the elders at your church. And a, a local church member who who doesn't submit to the spiritual authority uh, of a church, isn't safe because their concerns are not for oneness and edification of the church, but only for the benefits of themselves. Uh, Randy Alcorn, he once wrote, selfishness is when we pursue gain at the expense of others. And I believe that definition best describes what I'm trying to say here. Rogue members do not build up. They, uh, They seek gain for themselves um, they're independent, individualistic entities. Um, and by doing that, they don't build up unity. They actually hurt the church. And for that reason, pastors, they need to confront um, both the issue and the heart uh, behind the insubordination uh, that may, you know, that, that again, we're talking spiritual issues here, uh, that may restore uh, order, respect, and harmony within the flock. We just... Yeah, I actually remember hearing a church planter talking about the um, churches that he planted in the Middle East and how the culture there, because they have an honor structure where they respect older, uh, more mature, more experienced individuals, um, there's just an honor and respect structure in the culture. It's not egalitarian, it's ordered. Um, that planting churches there was easy in terms of church government because they respected their elders already in their culture. And so uh, we don't have that here. Uh, Older people uh, have sadly not been respected. Uh, We all want to be the same. And we're going to talk about that in the next point, which is the third point, which is um, the the missing member. The missing member. And so the West has brought forth um, what I would call a commitment-phobic culture. And you can see this by our transient lifestyles, uh, where we move from city to city, job to job, school to school, church to church, marriage to marriage, friend to friend. Uh, The idea of long-term commitment in any facet of life has become become incredibly rare. And unfortunately, uh, this ideology has bled right into the church. 
And um, as soon as something doesn't meet our personal preferences, it's time to move on, right? Uh, that's how we, how we think in America. And as soon as a particular church doesn't meet our schedules or our ideal distance from our home, our taste in music, our selection of personalities, you know, we have to find somewhere else to go and fast. And ultimately, this is simply the result of our self-worshipping society who prioritizes freedom above all else. Uh, But this is more than an inconvenient idea when it's played out in the lives of individuals and families in your local house church. Again, remember what I said is that in the house church format, everything's amplified uh, because if, you know, something happens with two families, it's 20, 30% of your church and it's a big deal because everybody knows about it and you have to talk about it. And so it's just a, it's more sensitive uh, in terms of its community structure. Uh, so these kind of things where, you know, you have this rogue independent person, um, it, it can be painful. In fact, I recently uh, tweeted a quote, I believe, that catches the essence of this pain. I wrote, unreciprocated friendship is one of the most painful hypocrisies in the church. Uh, if you just change out the word friendship for relational commitment, meaning that unreciprocated relational commitment is one of the most painful hypocrisies in the church. Um, You know, you kind of understand what I'm saying here. When a community of believers labors to walk out the one another's of Scripture, there's there's about a hundred of those in in the New Testament, but is constantly dealing with a certain church member Um, who fails to participate and reciprocate in relational commitment, relational interest, frequency, or consistency, uh, it fuels a culture of uncertainty and distrust between people. Um, And some of you guys might know what I mean when I say that. Uh, For example, when a family, uh, you know, say joins your house church, but has created a pattern where two out of the four Sundays Uh, they have something more important to do. Maybe it's a kid's soccer game. Friends are always coming into town. Um, They woke up late and they don't feel, you know, they didn't get enough sleep. You know, this this doesn't nurture the trust and commitment required to fulfill scriptures like uh, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. It's James 5.16. Or uh, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. That's Romans 12.10. Or admonish, you know, correct one another in all wisdom, uh, Colossians three sixteen. Um, you know, these types of Christian commands are deeply intimate and only experienced within the type of committed relationships that Christ had with his disciples. You can't do this with hit or miss, unattached, shallow, unpredictable acquaintances within your Christian community. It's just impossible. And so, for for those pastors. Uh, in America, uh, who are listening to this, uh, I'm empathetic because everything is working against you. Uh, and I get it as a pastor. Uh, we're a busy, preoccupied, and selfish culture. And we, uh, we've confused proximity with connectedness. Um, we believe um, crowds equal closeness. Uh, they don't, okay? As a pastor or as a lay leader, um, it's your job to nurture a culture of relationships that's reflective of the bond between believers that's seen in the scriptures. Um, And this isn't easy to do, and it's not a one-time deal. Um, But when you do that, you're finally going to see the sluggishness 
of your flock or of the church subside. And the love and the connection and the trust between members really rise to new heights. That's that's creating that culture of consistency and trust. It's a really beautiful thing when it's played out. Okay, the last thing here, and I know we're going a little bit long. This is a longer episode because it's a unique episode. Um, the last point uh, is number four, right? So we've done three before. We did the, talked about the lost member, the rogue member, the missing member, and then number four is the non-giving member. All right, uh, this is last, but it's surely not the least. Um, you know, the non-giving member is a big deal. And as a pastor, uh, it's always been fascinating to me how uh, Christians would never expect free counseling for their marriage, uh, free consulting for their business, free teaching for their children, or free training uh, for their family, but will willingly sit under the weekly counseling, consulting, teaching, and training of their pastor without thinking of compensating them in return. Uh, the 18th century theologian Adam Clark, in his commentary on Galatians 6.6, which speaks on giving to ministers uh, who are uh, pastors preaching the gospel, he wrote this really powerful statement. I'm going to read it to you here. He says, and I quote, We must contribute to the support of the man who has dedicated himself to the work of the ministry and who gives up his time and his life to preach the gospel. It appears that some of the believers in Galatia were, re- were receiving the Christian ministry without contributing to its support. This is both ungrateful and base. We do not expect that a common schoolmaster will give up his time to teach our children the alphabet each week without being paid for it. And can we suppose that it is just for any person to sit under the preaching of God's word on a regular occurrence in order to grow wise unto salvation by it and not contribute to the support of that spiritual leader? It is unjust. Okay, powerful uh, concept there. Giving is always a reflection of the heart. Uh, Jesus says, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And so ultimately, when someone invests their treasure in supporting their local ministry, um, it's simply a reflection of their heart's location. Uh, They are kingdom-hearted men and women. Uh, They want to see the furthering and flourishing of Christian ministry in their local area, in their local church. Um, You know, the, the idea of global fruitfulness begins with local faithfulness. You know, if you want to see global fruitfulness, it has to start with local faithfulness. You, you have to be willing to give locally um, to, in order to see this spread throughout your community, throughout your county, throughout your state. Um, but more than that, with these people, they, they want to sustain and support those ministers who sacrifice and labor to bring about the the kingdom of God in their own community. You want to support these people. Um, you know, we support our taxes, we pay our taxes to our government officials who support the kingdom of America or the kingdom of Canada or the kingdom of wherever you live. Um, and there is people out there, uh, there are people out there who are laboring to bring about the kingdom of God. Um, 
And many ministers I've seen over the year, and many ministries I've seen over the year, have been hamstrung and weakened uh, due to the negligence, and I would even say um, theft of, of those receiving ongoing spiritual care without reciprocation, uh, gratitude, or financial support. And so sometimes you're not even getting a thank you, you're not even getting a uh, equal serve serving or service. Um, and sometimes it's just, you're not, you know, getting financial support in, in return, but when you don't get any of them, you're just giving and pouring out and pouring out and pouring out and pouring out. You don't get a, a gratitude, a thank you. You don't get a reciprocation and service. You don't get a financial compensation for the time that you studied for the week. It can get very difficult as a pastor. Uh, but again, as with the previous points above, this too is an opportunity to shepherd souls um, to a right view of God's commands. And as preachers, uh, we got to be willing to speak what the Bible says on giving. I wrote an entire article on that on relearn.org, and I will, uh, I will post it in the show notes, but it's titled, Why Tithing is Biblical, But It's Not Christian. It's breaking down a whole concept of giving, but I think it would give you a clear understanding of who we are called to give to according to Scripture, according to the New Covenant. And we need to be, as pastors especially, willing to remind our flock that all we have, everything that we have, is because of the Lord. It's the Lord's. The Lord has given it to us. We are stewards. And so we must be willing to help our people understand that giving is not about the amount. It's about the heart. Okay, it's not about the amount, it's about the heart. And in my experience, uh, this is an ongoing work. You need to talk about this pretty regularly, uh, preach it every time you get a chance that, uh, that you pass over these passages of Scripture. I'm not one to you know, preach on this regularly, but if I'm passing through it, I'm not going to avoid it. I'm going to preach what, what the Scriptures say about it, and uh, we just get to, to respond faithfully in obedience uh, to God's desire for the saints supporting ministers who are called into missions and ministry. Uh, and our world, we have to remember, is so fiercely competitive for our money. So pleasure, comfort, materialism, they're very real issues to people in the church. And as God's ambassadors, we must constantly wash the minds of our flock with the truth of God's word, including our own minds. And, and so it's, a, uh, it's an important issue uh, when regard to giving. And so in a house church context, I, I get this all the time, um, I don't think a house church uh, pastor can usually survive on a house church income, um, but let's just say that you had 10 families who had an average income. Um, I think that it's not a, a crazy idea for a house church pastor to, um, uh, if he's studying 10, 15 hours a week, making himself available uh, for meetings, one-on-one uh, -on -one meetings, doing any counseling, which is pretty common uh, for marriages or parenting or or answering phone calls, uh, you know, at weird hours or uh, just spending time praying for the church. Uh, you know, basically there is an investment of time so that they can shepherd the flock. This individual should receive some sort of compensation. Um, you know, over the years, I've seen house church planters in a situation, yeah, it might only be $1,000 a month. It might be $3,000 a month. It depends on what the Lord is doing and who's in your flock. Uh, but these things, it's not a hundred grand a year. That's what I'm saying here. 
is that it's just you're supporting uh, this person for the hours that they're investing in pouring back into your life, into your family, into your soul. And that's an important component. So the non-giving member is something. So if you're not giving at your local church, uh, you should absolutely consider that and look at the scriptures regarding that. You should read that article that I wrote. Again, I'll talk about it here as we close. Uh, But as the conclusion here, um, these four characteristics, they're actually more common in the church than we might have hoped. In fact, I would say the Bible has warned us of this mixing of genuine and counterfeit sheep. You can read that in Matthew 13, 24 through 30. And for that reason, the pastor needs to be clothed in discernment and have a keen ability to both feed and protect the flock. Uh, John Calvin spoke on this matter, and he said, The pastor ought to have two voices, one for gathering the sheep and another for warding off and driving away the wolves and thieves. Now, uh, when he says wolves and thieves, I'm not saying that a a believer in the church um, who's, you know, not giving is a wolf or a thief. Um, But I am saying is that we need to make sure that we are watching out as pastors for those people who might not be believers and who might be corrupting the flock and who might be uh, you know, uh, showing and revealing themselves through some of these attributes. It takes a lot of discernment to be a pastor and to protect a flock, especially in today's day and age. And so shepherding is a daunting task, and pastors need to be trained because of that. They need to be prepared. They need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and uh, that they are able to properly face and respond to these difficult realities, uh, and that they may, they may be men of perception, who are marked with wisdom, humility, and love. All right, uh, just to leave you guys, um, a uh, again, an article that will support you guys. I'm going to put this in the show notes. This is episode number 115, and the article is titled, Why Tithing is Biblical, But It's Not Christian. I wrote it last year. Um, we've had several thousand people read it uh, with very positive responses. It's basically breaking down well, what are we called to do? We're, called, we're not called to tithe in the same sense of the Old Testament, but we are called to give. And what does that look like? And where are we called to give? What are the specific commands in the New Testament regarding giving? So you guys can take a peek at that if you go to relearn.org and just search episode 115. This episode is titled, Four Types of Church Members Who Hurt the Church. All right, guys, if you guys are a regular listener to this podcast, we thank you for that. Would you guys consider leaving a review? All you have to do is just uh, tap the stars in the podcast app. You could also write something. If you write it, I will read it. Um, Also, consider following us on Instagram. Um, We are actively posting uh, on Instagram. You can just type in relearn.org in your Instagram search, and you will find us. We'd love to have you there. We're putting out content every single day. I think usually except Sunday, but putting out content very, uh, very regularly over there. We'd love to have you there. Um, On that note, thank you guys so much. My name is Dale Partridge, and I will see you again next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of Real Christianity. If you're a regular listener to this show, would you prayerfully consider making a donation to support our ministry efforts? Simply visit relearn.org forward slash donate. Again, that's relearn.org forward slash donate. And for those looking to explore the idea of joining or planting a church in your home, you can download our free PDF ebook titled The Basics of Biblical House Church by visiting relearn.org forward slash house. Lastly, do you have a theological question you would like answered on the show? Submit your question at relearn.org forward slash question. 
Thanks for joining us on this episode of Real Christianity. We will see you next Wednesday.